0: I want your permission today to preach a different kind of message and I'm not even sure this is a sermon. I want to talk about America because we are celebrating the 4th of July this week and I love the 4th of July, I've always loved it as a kid. I love it because it's in summer when I was a kid, I loved it because school was out and then there were the fireworks and I would even take a few moments to talk to you about some of the things that I've done with fireworks, but I've noticed some kids in here. And uh, I don't want to be a bad example to anybody. But I, I love Fourth of July. And it's going to be a great day. Gasoline prices are low, so people are going to be able to travel. It's going to be one of the most traveled holidays in history. And many of us are going to get together and we'll eat and we'll shoot off fireworks and we'll celebrate. But I, I don't want to sound like the elderly aunt that always lectures you, but I do want to ask you the question, do you understand what we're celebrating? Do, do you have any knowledge? Would you be able to speak articulately? about what the 4th of July celebrates. I'd like to talk to you for a few moments about that today so that you will be prepared to celebrate this holiday. On the 4th of July, 1776, there was something that happened that you should know about because if you don't know about it, you may not know what it means to be an American. And most of all, if we don't know what it's about, we might even stand... uh, the possibility of losing this great nation that God has given us, and it may wind up on the ash pile of history. But to tell the story, I should first begin by telling you that the first Americans did not come here with the idea of building a nation. They came for various reasons. Some of them came to settle new lands for religious liberty. Others came to find their fortune. There were those who came to start over after a disastrous past and tragically we know there were those who came to America not of their own free will but were brought forcibly here. But those who came electively to this nation did not come to start a new nation, they came to expand territories for old nations, not to start a new one. But By the middle of the 18th century it had worked fabulously and America was, wel- was wealthy and rich <clears throat> with resources and opportunities. And that was to be the case like no other British colony. In fact, by the middle of the 18th century, the United States almost mirrored, even eclipsed Great Britain, the mother country. But as America grew more prosperous, England tightened its grip. And the way the colonials looked at it, they were being treated more as conquered peoples than equal and fellow Englishmen. Also during this time, Britain found itself deep in debt after a costly and unwise war, and so they tried to make up the shortfall by levying high taxes, a great tax burden on the colonies. And for those who believe that our founders were eager to get into a fight, you should understand that time and time again, America, Americans, America had sent messengers to humbly ask parliament to ease up, and they had hoped that King George might might speak to Parliament on their behalf to heal the rift, but instead the German-born King George hired German mercenaries to fight the colonials. So by 1776, skirmishes between the colonists and the British had been flaring up and war seemed inevitable. And that is where the 4th of July comes in and what you should know about that 4th. After months of discussion, Congress released a Declaration of Independence. I find this part of our history of America as perhaps one of the most interesting times. If you have only a cursory knowledge of the Revolutionary War, you can feel like the whole nation of America was rising up against Great Britain and willing to fight, but it wasn't that way at all. The nation was split among thirds, a third of the country were loyal to the king, a third were in favor of a revolution, and a third, who were like a lot of Americans today, were just hoping that the whole thing would go away. And when when the government was trying to determine whether or not they could release a Declaration of Independence, there were states who did not want to be part of a Declaration of Independence, and they had either spoken to their representatives saying, you cannot be part of this declaration of independence. Or again, like 21st century America, several of the states were telling their representatives that it was up to them to be ambiguous about it, to neither be for it or against it. Some of the states that at first did not want to participate in the declaration of independence were Pennsylvania, New York, Maryland, Delaware, and New Jersey. Well, think about that. We only had 13 colonies and you had all these states that say, we really don't want to be part of starting this problem or stirring up a hornet's nest. And at the beginning of the process of developing the Declaration of Independence, most people were safely on the sidelines, which is pretty much where Americans are today in 2017. The question was asked then as the question is asked today, because this is not just a history lesson. The question was asked, do you have the courage to declare yourself And I find myself wanting to ask not just 21st century Americans and not just 21st century Kansans, but I I want to ask 21st century Newspringers: do you have the courage to stand for what you believe? Or, and I'm not trying to be offensive, but are you like a bobblehead doll that if the culture thumps your head, you will go along nervously with whatever the majority seems to think? Well, they did. They released that Declaration of Independence on July 4, 1776. And if you read the Declaration, which if you've not, I hope you will go home and do today, the essence of the Declaration was saying, we are not terrorists, we're not traitors, we have a right to be free, and we have a right to exist. But that would raise a question, on what basis would we have a right to exist? I want you to understand how people thought back in that time Bernard Balin, who is a historian at Harvard, in his book, Ideological Origins of the American Revolution, he said this, the orthodox British view dating from the glorious revolution of 1688 was that parliament was the supreme authority throughout the empire. And so by definition, anything parliament did was constitutional. You catch that? In other words, parliament makes the rules. And Parliament is subject to no higher power when Parliament makes the rule, it is the supreme authority. So when the Americans declared themselves independent, it looked to Parliament as though they were traitors. And if Parliament had been the supreme authority, they would have been traitors. So I'm asking, when you think about the founders of our nation, on what basis did they have the right to declare themselves independent? Why do we look at people like Benjamin Franklin and George Washington and John Adams and Nancy Ward, Thomas Jefferson and Penelope Barker? Why do we look at these people as heroes and not traitors and terrorists? Where did they get their authority to override parliament? Well, I've said in the classroom, as some of you have, and I have heard historians wax eloquent that the answer to that question is natural law. Natural law is a kind of understood law That we have because of nature, and thus it is universal. Of course, they never unpack that and get into what natural law actually is, but they say that there is positive law. That's the law that organizational bodies and governmental bodies make, and there's natural law that we just understand. But... Here is the problem with that. The founding fathers, although they did speak of natural law, they spoke of a greater law that gave them the authority. And I want to read this part of the declaration to you. They wrote When in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume the powers of the earth, among the powers of the earth, the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and nature's God entitle them. I was reading yesterday one of the writings of the founders, and he said that in their minds, the laws of nature were based on the acts of God, and nature's God was based on the word of God. And so when you go back to the Declaration of Independence, the founders of our nation said, we are not traitors, we are not terrorists, we have a right to be free, we have a right to exist. We have that right that we do not draw from Parliament, but from a much higher source. We believe our right to exist is granted to us by Almighty God. But I have also said in the classroom, and I have heard scholars who want to stack the dominoes or set up the dominoes in their own favor of being anti-God and especially anti-Christian, who said that the founders of our nation were deists. Some of you may have drunk that Kool-Aid. And especially they will point to Thomas Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin and say, these were not true believers in God as we do, and definitely not Christian, but these were deists. Well, again, as I've been taught that in the classroom, very few of those professors unpack that and explain what a deist actually was. Deists believe that there was a creator, God, who basically wound the clock and then absented himself from anything that happened thereon. After that, it was all humankind. There was a creator, but he was gone. He wound the watch or wound the clock and left. And it is said that Franklin and Jefferson were both deists. But I want you to hear my favorite quote from Benjamin Franklin. He said, the longer I live, the more convinced I am become that God governs in the affairs of men. And have we now forgotten that powerful friend? Or do we imagine that we no longer need his his, his assistance? Do Do you understand what Franklin is saying? He is deliberately firing a calculated shot right into the heart of deism. If deism is that there is a God who has wound the clock and left, Franklin has said, the older I get, the more convinced I am that God is active in the affairs of humankind. And he said, can we not, shall we not remember that it is God who assists us? In regard to Jefferson, he wrote, God who gave us life gave us liberty, and can the liberties of a nation be thought secure when we have removed their only firm basis, a conviction in the minds of people that these liberties are the gift of God? Okay, maybe up to that point he would sound like a deist, but hear this, that they are not to be violated, but with his wrath. Indeed, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just and that his justice cannot sleep forever. It does not sound like a man who believes... In the idea of deism that God has wound the watch and then left, Jefferson said, I fear that God will bring his judgment upon us. But now that we have lain that modern myth to sleep, let's look at some of the things that the signers of the Declaration of Independence wrote. Patrick Henry, many of us know that he was the one who said, give me liberty or death. Henry said it, it cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians, not on religions, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. For this very reason, peoples of other faiths have been afforded asylum, prosperity, and freedom of worship here. Henry said it is because the nation was founded on Christianity that we have a multiplicity of religions and faiths. Benjamin Rush, who was one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence, he was also a ratifier of the Constitution, he was Surgeon General of the Continental Army, and he is called the father of American medicine and also called the father of American public schools under the Constitution. And when you to hear what he had to say. He said the gospel of Jesus Christ prescribes the wisest rules for just conduct in every situation of life. Happy they are who are enabled to obey them in all situations. He went on to say, if moral precepts alone could have reformed mankind, the mission of the Son of God into all the world would have been unnecessary. The perfect morality of the gospel rests upon the doctrine which, though often controverted, has never been refuted. I mean the vicarious life and death of the Son of God. John Witherspoon, who was a signer of the Declaration of Independence, he was also a ratifier of the Constitution and President of Princeton. He said, Christ Jesus, the promise of the old, made unto the fathers, the hope of Israel, the light of the world, and the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes, is the only savior of sinners, in opposition to all false religions and every uninstituted right, as he himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. These are just a few of those who signed the Declaration of Independence and pledged, according to their own words, their lives, their fortune, and their sacred honor. And now to the most known sentence in the Declaration of Independence, and as some have said, the most well-known sentence in the English language. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. You should know that the founders of our nation did not believe that their laws came, uh, that their right came from positive laws enacted by men. They did not believe that their rights came from parliament. They believed that their rights came from the throne of almighty God, their creator. Think about the, if you're one who likes logic, as I do, I want you to think about the logic construct there. Our founder said, there are truths, therefore there are rights. Breaking that apart would be like breaking a BB. There are truths, postmodern America, and there are rights based upon those truths. And on top of that, they said these truths are self-evident. Now, there are truths that have to be proven and investigated, but they said, these truths rise to a threshold to which they need no proof. They need no investigation. These truths are self-evident. Well, what were those truths? Well, first, there was a creator. Secondly, all humans are created. Thirdly, the creator made us equal. Fourth, the creator endowed us with rights. Fifth, since these rights are given by creation, They predate and supersede all human governments. Therefore, they are inalienable. That means they cannot be separated or taken away. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the statement of basis for the nation you are a citizen of. The Declaration of Independence through the years has lighted the way for course corrections. The Civil War in which America had to deal with its deep sin of slavery And the reason why I give you this quote is that there are those who say, well, the Constitution, especially those who do not like God, the Constitution is an official document, but the Declaration of Independence is not an important document. And the reason why they say that is because the Declaration of Independence clearly references creation. And so they see the Declaration down here and the Constitution up here. Are you not thankful for Abraham Lincoln? He is one of my favorite. I just, I can't wait to get to heaven. A lot of people I want to meet, Lincoln is one of the people I really want to meet. I love him so much. I love his quotes. He was funny. I mean, that's the thing I love about Lincoln. I love some of the funny stuff he said. He tells a story about being on a carriage stage one time before he was president, and a woman kept looking at him, and she said, Mr., I believe you're the ugliest man I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) Lincoln said, well, there's not much I can do about that, is there? She said, well, you could stay at home. I don't know if that's really true. It's just kind of like the story of Lincoln. But my all-time favorite was, this is when he was president. And they were having a state affair, and a rather well-upholstered lady sat on his hat and just crushed it. And she stood up and said, oh, Mr. Lincoln, I'm so sorry I sat on your hat. He said, madam, I could have told you it wouldn't fit before you tried it on. So, uh, <laughs> love Lincoln. But I do really believe, and I'm not, that God would ultimately judge us, but I do believe Lincoln was the greatest American definitely the greatest of the presidents. Princeton historian and Civil War expert James McPherson in his book, Abraham Lincoln and the American, uh, Second American Revolution, he quotes Lincoln as arguing that the Declaration is a statement of principles through which the United States Constitution should be interpreted. Lincoln did not see the Declaration of Independence as the lesser document and the Constitution of the greater. He argued that you could not understand the Constitution without the Declaration of Independence. He believed that it was the Declaration of Independence that was the coup de grace argument against slavery. And then, of course, it was the Declaration of Independence that lighted the way in the Civil Rights Movement. Dr. Martin Luther King stood on the steps of the Lincoln Monument, and he said these words. I heard them again last night. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self evident that all men are created equal. What truths, Dr. King? What truths do you base your self sacrifice and the sacrifice of many other noble African Americans for the cause of civil rights? What truths? That there is a creator. And we are all created that the Creator has made us equal, that the Creator endowed us with rights. And since these rights are given by creation, they predate and supersede all human governments. Therefore, they are inalienable. When Dr. King stood on the steps that August day in 1963, that is what we are saying. It's what he is saying. He was saying all human beings, regardless of the color, regardless of their station, have a right to be free because the Creator gave us that right. He is the one who determined that all are created. No human power, no human body of legislation can alienate or separate those rights given to us by our Creator. That's what Dr. King was trying to teach America. And that is how America started. But things have changed. The weird thing is there are some of us even here today who follow Jesus Christ, but we have drunk the Kool-Aid. No one, and and I'll be honest with you, it's not fun delivering this kind of message. I'd much rather talk about biblical things, but so many Americans have drunk the Kool-Aid to the extent that they don't know. And so today, I want to talk about that. I mean, when the Constitutional Convention met at the end, uh, Franklin was walking down the steps and a woman met him and said, Mr. Franklin, what kind of government have you given us? He said, a republic, madam, if you can keep it. And that has proven to be the problem in America that we have a hard time keeping it. Some time ago, even in my lifetime, the official story of America has become that there is no creator. You could not teach creation in a public school today. You could not teach creation in any kind of government situation. Because the official story is an atheistic version of origins. Piece by piece, references to God have been removed, and somehow God has become the enemy. There are thousands of these stories. I'm tired of reading them, but I read one that came out of our own state, and I probably will mispronounce the names of the towns, but it seems that basketball players from Shalen High School and basketball players from Weston High School met in Bird City, Kansas on January 31st, And to my and I would applaud them for doing this The young basketball players met mid-court and had a prayer before the game. And the Wisconsin-based atheist organization, which calls itself the largest of atheist organizations, the Freedom From Religion Federation, they wrote a letter to the school district and requested, demanded a written response. No, No government agency, just an atheist organization, demanded from the school system a written response. I would have written them one appropriate. But this is what got my attention. The school spokesperson is quoted, and I don't know this for a fact, but is quoted in national media as saying to this atheist organization, you have my assurance that this will not happen again. Can I read that one more time? You have my assurance that this will not happen again. See, that organization fires these letters off time after time after time, and people capitulate because we are afraid of lawsuits. Could I remind you that when our founders took the statement of Declaration of Independence. They were literally risking their lives. Many died. They were risking their fortunes. Most of them lost them. And they were risking their sacred honor. They were not worried about a lawsuit. They had to face musket balls. But we live in an age of cowardice when all some atheist organization has to do is to wave a letter before us and we promise that we will not pray anymore. I think we have the right to ask ask the nation, is the Declaration of Independence now unconstitutional? We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all all men are created equal, and that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Is that still legal language? You need to answer this question as I do. We're Americans. Are these still truths? Did somehow we outpace these truths? Are these still truths? Is it that the writers of the Declaration were wrong? Are they no longer self-evident? If there is, Here's a larger question. If there is no creator, why are we all equal? Adolf Hitler didn't believe in a creator. He didn't think that all people were equal. So maybe that's a fair question. If there is no creator, are we all equal? And if there is no creator who has endowed us with rights, do we have rights? And if there is no, as Britain thought, if there is no higher authority than human government, do we only have those rights ceded to us by human government? And if we only have government-given rights, is there any such thing as freedom? I'm just walking you through a logical proof. Well, the reality is we are not sure. And as a nation, we flounder around and we go back and forth. The reason I stand before you today is I do not want to be a coward, my job is to be a prophet of God not to tell my ideas about the future but a whole lot of what God has to say is about the future. And I think about the prophet Elijah who is my favorite of the Old Testament prophets who one day stood on Mount Carmel when Israel was torn in between idol worship and the worship of the true God and Elijah said, "How long are you going to be paralyzed by indecision? If the Lord is a true God, then follow him and if Baal is God, then follow him." That is my statement to us today. How long are we going to waffle between indecision, drinking the Kool-Aid of a world that has an agenda to excise God from all public life or people who truly believe in God, who are willing to face whatever and are not cowards to stand up for the fact that there is a God who created us and because of that we have rights and those rights cannot be diluted. You know, I have hope for America today. I'm like Dr. King, I'm I'm angry. But I love America. Well, long before seventeen seventy six, the Creator was in the business of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and all you have to do is read John ten, 10 Jesus' purpose statement, I've come that they might have life and have it to the full. John 8, 36, Jesus said, so if the Son sets you free, you are truly free. Liberty. And then the pursuit of happiness. 1 Timothy 6, verse 17, put your hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. You understand, it wasn't the founders who discovered the basis of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That came from God. Well, I'm not a politician, and I'm never one to get into politics, it's not my world, unless politics gets into my world, and then I'm not squeamish at all. But I think wherever you are, whether you're a Republican or Democrat or Independent or Libertarian or Socialist, I think we'd all have to admit America's in trouble today. We might define that trouble differently, but we know we're in deep trouble. I, it takes my breath away how many of you are like me, barely stand turn the news on anymore? <laughs> Sounds like I have some friends here today. Here, here's what I want to say to you. We, can, we cannot count on those who have left God. It, it does no good to blame people who don't believe in God because we can't count on them to turn America around. I don't think we can count on politicians anymore. I'm old enough to have seen both parties come and go and and liberals and conservatives and all of that, and and that has its place, but I don't believe we can count on politicians anymore. If you have hope in politicians, my guess is you are young. (laughs) I'm not being disrespectful, I, I was there once myself. And I don't believe we can count on the institutions of America anymore either. The only place to look is in the mirror. If there is hope for America today, it is here. And oh, thank you, Jesus, it is back in kids' world and in our student ministry. God left a roadmap for people, a nation that was in trouble. And this word was given to the people of Israel during their glory days. God said, if my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. See, here's the thing. For all all of us who are here at New Spring, we could look at, we say, oh, these people are wicked. Those people are wicked. Hey, God said, if we turn from our wicked ways... God said, then I will hear from heaven. And he said, I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. Now, let's break that apart real quickly because now it's going to get a little convicting for us because I want you to think about what those things really mean to us. God is saying, if my people will humble themselves. Now, here's the opposite of humility. It is stubbornness. It is I'm going to do what I'm going to do. One of the things that troubles me as pastor is I've watched good Christian people and we're going to talk about this in the thing next, in the return of the thing next week. I've watched good Christian people fall into sin, and it's like they double down and get stubborn at that point. And some of us are there today. We're in stubbornness. We're doing wrong, but we're doubling down and we're stubborn. God is saying, look, first thing has to happen is the people who are doing wrong have to say, you know what, I'm doing wrong. If we will humble ourselves. And then the Bible says, if we will pray, I'm not talking about the now lay me down kind of, you know, sleep kind of prayers. Guess that's okay. But I'm talking about serious time talking with God. mean time where you break up your day and you just get to the place where you're going to talk to God listen we have a God who does miracles I mean we had I'm not going to get into it we had a miracle happen this week with one of our new springers just a glorious thing and we're celebrating that listen when you you here's the thing for all of us who feel helpless as you watch the news don't forget that the creator who made us all equal and gave us rights is still in business today and he is ready to hear from people who want to talk to him God said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves quit being stubborn and pray and seek my face, that means you look for where God is in the situation. You know, how many times do we assess a situation and we leave God out of the equation? Seeking God means you bring God into the question, into your marriage, into your family, into your child rearing, into your your business, into, into your love for your nation. And God said, I'll hear from heaven and I'll forgive their sin and heal their land. Every once in a while here, Christians will say to me, well, if America doesn't turn around, we may have the judgment of God upon us. How do we know that that hasn't already started? I mean, here's the thing, and I'm not trying to be political here today. You know I'm not political. I just just don't get into that thing. But I I talked a few moments ago about us not being able to trust politicians. I mean, is it just me, or is this sort of the weakest group of politicians that we've ever seen in our lives on both sides of the aisle? And... And, and there's sort of this vibe that says, wow, if these politicians don't start doing right, then God may judge America. How do you know that the weak politicians are not God's judgment on America? How do we know that it's not giving, God giving us what we deserve? In the book of Hosea, God says, I will return to my place until they admit their guilt and turn to me. For as soon as trouble comes, they will earnestly seek for me. See, sometimes pain is God's megaphone. Sometimes God allows us to experience what we're experiencing as a nation so that we will get together and think about this and say politics is not the answer and institutions are not the answer. The answer has got to be for God to bring himself back into our situation and for Americans to kneel before him. One of the greatest statements I've seen recently was by Alvita King who's Dr. Martin Luther King's niece. She is a spokesman for civil rights and for God. And she spoke recently that she believes America's reverence for Christ veered off course decades ago. She said, we went off track in America when we took prayer out of schools in 1963. She said, when we no longer regarded the sanctity of life in 1973 in Roe versus Wade. When we began to believe that in God we trust is something that's just printed on the money but not imprinted on our hearts. If my uncle... Martin Luther King Jr. were here today my daddy's brother he would say to America come back to God come back to God well it starts with me coming back to God and it starts with you coming back to God and it starts with us remembering where we came from and how this nation was built and on the superstructure that was placed there by the founders that goes back to a God who created us and as our creator made us all equal and who has given us rights that no power on earth can take away. It is to him that we give our praise today. And my prayer is that on the 4th, when you eat the hot dogs and you watch the baseball and you shoot off the fireworks, that you might make this a little time of worship to remember that it was God who gave us America. May God bless you. Happy food.